This morning, I'm going to share with you a message called Pressing In for More out of Mark chapter 5. And so as you open your Bible to Mark 5, let's go ahead and pray together as we open God's Word. Father, we thank you this morning for your Word. And we, Lord, we expect as we open the Word of God today that you would encourage us, that you would equip us, that you would inspire us, that you would instruct us. Lord, we need you and we need your Word. And we pray that, Lord, there would be power and grace Uh, accompanying your word as I share it. And I pray the things that I share, whatever is of you would stick and whatever is of me, Lord, it would fade into the background. God, we pray that you would transform our hearts and our lives as a result of being together in your presence today. And so we look forward to what you will do and the testimonies as a result of it. In Jesus' mighty name, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. As um, As I pray over our church, One of the things that I've shared with you before and I want to remind you of today is that I sense the Holy Spirit saying, I'm doing something special. And that does not mean that God has not done stuff in the past or there haven't been seasons where he's poured out his spirit and there's been a lot that's happened in the past at Northwest Church that's been powerful and wonderful. And the more I meet with many of you, the more stories that I hear and it stirs me up. I can remember this week alone, I've heard three people share with me about what God did when Pastor Steve and Mary first came, and there was just a stirring of the Lord that was happening. And when you know what it does when I hear those stories? It stirs me up to say, Lord, do it again and go even farther. Let's honor the past by going even farther than we've gone before. And I, I sense that the Lord is doing something special in that right now, I believe he's pouring out a hunger for him, a hunger for his presence a hunger for his power, a hunger for his word, a hunger for prayer, a hunger for his mission, a hunger for evangelism, to see Jesus glorified in and through each one of us. This is what I sense the Lord is doing, that there's a fresh hunger that's coming upon his people today. And I don't think it's just Northwest Church. I think it's happening all over the region and all over the world. But I want to be in and I want to be involved in what the Lord is doing. And I was thinking a lot about hunger. When you have a like a physical hunger pain. You know, your stomach is empty. This is why you're hungry, obviously. And so the lining of your stomach wall will somewhat become irritated. One will touch the other side and send a signal to your brain. I'm hungry. We're empty down here. Feed me. And uh, obviously what that hunger will do and that hunger pain will do is it will send you to action. You're probably like me. I'll I'll head into the kitchen. I might walk up to the refrigerator. I might open said refrigerator and see what's going down. <laughs> I might make my way to the pantry, but you know what hunger pain will do is it'll drive you to action to get something to eat, to feed yourself. When the Lord wants to do something powerful, when he's getting ready to do something, he usually precedes that by a hunger for his, in his people. He will pour out a hunger because it will provoke us to act. It will provoke us to pray. It will provoke us to respond so that we can be aware, we can be alert, we can be alive to what the Lord is doing. And I believe he actually is pouring out a hunger. Hunger says you need something. Hunger says that you need more. Hunger says there's, that emptiness is not a bad thing when we know that it can be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. There's a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, and we will be filled. You know, Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, there's the the first beatitude, 
and it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. You've read this, of course. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's another translation that actually says, blessed are those who know their need. The poor in spirit, blessed are those who know their need. And I think sometimes what can happen to us as we follow Jesus, as we walk with Jesus, is we can forget how much we need him. We can lose track of what it is that he wants to do and how far he wants to go. He wants everything. You know, God is so relentless after all of our heart. If he has 50%, I'm guaranteeing you today, he is coming after the rest of that 50. He wants every bit of it. He wants us to push all the chips to the center of the table. He wants all of us to be all in 100%. And so he is relentlessly pursuing us, and he'll sovereignly, he'll just pour out a hunger so that we might know that we actually need more of him than we currently have right now. I think sometimes we can get curious about God. We can hear the testimonies of the Lord, and, and we're curious. We're like, oh, that's, that's interesting, you know, that, that Jesus would do that. That's really interesting. But curiosity will not take us where hunger will. Hunger will take us where curiosity will not go. Hunger. We need a hunger from the Lord. Curiosity will keep us in our seat, but hunger will get us to our feet. You like it. I know you do. I work hard on this. I'm sorry. My personality is a little goofy once in a while. I don't know if I should apologize for that because I'm pretty sure all of you are too. I would love to follow you all home. (laughs) The one thing we must be in church is authentic. You know, you don't want me to be just a professional minister. You want me to be who I am and where I am. That's what you want. That's what we all want. When my kids were younger, I've talked to you about how you tuck your kids in, and we would try to aggressively tuck them in. You know, it's not legal, but you want to do it. You know. But we would tuck our kids in, and Bridget and I would typically go downstairs and have adult conversation with friends and have them over late at night because I f- that was the only time we could have really quiet time. Now they, you just give them an iPad, and they, it's probably not the right thing to do, but they just go in the other room. <laughs> One hour of media a day, that's if they do their homework and if they're perfect. All right. We have protocols, people. All right. Good parents. Well, we would tuck the kids in. We'd go downstairs for some adult conversation and kids are curious, right? I think I'm curious too, but kids are really curious because they, they don't want to miss anything. That's why they'll try to see what their Christmas presents are. Like shake them and do all that. I don't even care anymore. I'm like, did you give me a Christmas present? I don't even care. But kids, they're like, I want to know. They want to know everything. And so the, they, get this, they get this scent like, oh, they're going to be talking about something that's important to me, something I want to know about. And so you'll hear the door open upstairs even after you tuck them in. It'd be like, like we don't hear it. (laughs) And if you're smart as parents, you'll play into it. And you'll start talking about something crazy where that said child will come halfway down the stairs and we had a banister that would hide them so they could sit right there halfway down the stairs and uh, and we'd talk crazy and they'd reveal themselves. Hey, that's not fair. we just do it (laughs) just because we're good parents. We would just say some stuff that would affect them. It was wonderful. It was a blessing. It's really powerful. You laugh because you understand, you know. (laughs) But no, they'd come downstairs. They'd only come halfway because they wanted to hide the fact that they were trying to listen in because they're curious, right? And you know, the thing about curiosity is, is that it'll only bring you halfway. Curiosity will not bring you all the way. And in fact, 
What I want to say to you this morning as we look at this passage in Mark chapter 5 is if God hasn't done this for you yet, we need to ask him for a fresh hunger. That hunger will take us where curiosity will not go. When you hear the testimonies of the Lord in your life, does it make you hungry for Jesus to move in your heart? Or is it like, no. See, there's something about, when we talk about revival, that's where we can target what God wants to do right there. If we're just sitting back chilling and it's casual and we hear the testimony of God's power being poured out, God touching hearts and lives, when we hear that and we just sit back and we just, we're just chilling, it's not that big of a deal. God wants to bring revival to us right then and right there. He wants to do something fresh in our lives. He wants to say to us, I am alive. I am alive and well and I am moving. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and when we hear a testimony, he's wanting us to draw in and not sit back. And so when we read this passage, what I want to encourage us to do is read it like we're pressed forward. Read it like we're expectant, not just to learn something that has happened, but, but to be excited about what God, what God is yet to do in and through our own lives. We want to press in for more. When God gives a hunger, he calls us to press in. We don't just live with the hunger and, and be there. We call, we're called to press in to receive. And that's what I think we're going to discover in Mark chapter 5, verse 21 through 34. It'll be on the screen, and I'm going to go ahead and read it. And this is verse 21. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, this is the Sea of Galilee, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and on seeing him, he fell at his feet, and he implored him earnestly. And the word implore means he begged him. He begged him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. There's another gospel account that records she's already dead. So she's either dead or almost dead. And I want you to get that picture into your mind, because the details here really do matter. My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live and he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but had rather grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, after hearing the testimonies and the reports of what Jesus had been doing, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that power proceeding from him had gone forth, he turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you and you say, who touched me? Oh, we, could, we, can't, we can't know. And he looked around to see the woman who had done this, but the woman fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Prior to this moment, Jesus had been traveling all over with his disciples, proclaiming the kingdom of God, performing many miracles, signs, wonders, healings, deliverances of all kinds. Jesus had been doing Jesus stuff. And we must be reminded that Israel had not seen a miracle worker like this since the days of some of their prophets. We're talking about Elisha. They had heard about these stories, but they had not encountered a miracle worker like this. So you can imagine the buzz, the stir, the testimonies. They were going from city to city and from town to town. And that's without the news, and that's without social media. 
the word was spreading about Jesus. And Mark chapter five opens with a story where Jesus and his disciples had crossed the Sea of Galilee and they landed in a region of the Gerasenes and there they encounter a man that is so demonized that he lives among the tombs. You might remember the story of the demoniac who names himself as Legion. Jesus encounters this man and confronts the spirits in him and he says, what is your name? And the spirits say, we are Legion. And maybe you've heard this before, but the, the word legion can refer to 6,000 Roman soldiers, like a cohort of Roman soldiers, and it can also just refer to a great many. But either way, there are many spirits in this man. Jesus confronts this demonized man, and the spirits in him beg him to send them into the pigs that were right over on the side here. Send us into the pigs, which is kind of a weird story. I've heard a lot of allegory about pigs being unclean and all that. We don't really know. We just know that the demons beg Jesus to send them into the pigs, and so he permits them, go. So however this looked, all these spirits, all these demons go into the pigs, and the pigs just rush down the hill and drown themselves into the Sea of Galilee. Now those that own the pigs were not happy about this. Because economically speaking, this was not a good day for them. They lost a lot having this happen. And so they're looking at Jesus and they're looking at the man sitting there and he's in his right mind and the Bible even says he's fully clothed, which was a good Wednesday for this man apparently. (laughs) But something miraculous, something powerful, it just happened in their midst, but they couldn't think beyond the finances. And so it says that they implored him to leave their region. Notice also in Mark chapter 6 where Jesus comes to Nazareth. He's in his hometown. In fact, I believe that's probably where he landed here when he gets back into the boat and goes to the other side. He goes from one side to the other. I can't imagine the disciples going, oh, we got to get in the boat again. (laughs) The boys always had these types of things to say. But in Mark chapter 6, he comes to Nazareth where he was raised. And it says that they can't get past who he was naturally, right? And that's where Jesus says a prophet is without honor in his own home. And the Bible records he could not do any miracles there except heal a few sick people. Now it does say that he would go and teach in their synagogues, but he couldn't perform miracles. Jesus Christ was hindered from releasing power in a community because of how they saw him and they didn't want him. That's something to note. Where Jesus was desired, where Jesus was wanted, where Jesus was pursued, that, that, in that place, power was released. He could, he could bring fullness. And that's important because when we're reading this passage, that's exactly what we see. We see the opposite of what those who owned the pigs wanted. They wanted Jesus to leave. We see the opposite of what Mark chapter 6 talks about. Those who were in his hometown that knew him by the flesh, they too just thought, who is, who is this Jesus? No, we've known his mother and his family, and he's just a carpenter's son. That's all he really is. They knew him by the flesh, and they too didn't really care much for him. But those that wanted him, Should I say those who pressed in for all that he carried, all that he was, those are the ones that received. Those are the ones that we want to be. And I think when we look at this story, what what we could talk about is we could talk about the compassion and the mercy of Jesus towards those who are suffering. And that, that is important to highlight in this passage. We could also talk about his power and his ability over all disease, sickness, and ailments. He has power over everything. When we sing the name of Jesus, let's be reminded of that. He really does have power over everything. If we haven't experienced that initially, we can eventually. And this is why we press in. We're reminded of these individuals in this story of what pressing in looks like. And so what I want to do is share with you a few points. And I want to share them as an observation of those that pressed into Jesus, but also 
as somewhat of a declaration for our own lives that we too must press in in the way that we read they did. And so number one, we press in for an encounter with Jesus. What is it that we're supposed to do? We press in for an encounter with Jesus. When they came to the shore, Jesus is faced with the crowds, a synagogue official, and then in verse 25, we read about an unnamed woman who has been suffering with an illness for 12 years. In fact, the text tells all these details about her life and her experience in those 12 years because the scripture's trying to help us feel where she's at. It says that she had endured much at the hands of many physicians. We're talking about the kind of suffering that comes from many treatments. In some cases, many experimental treatments. And then it goes on to say that she spent all of her money. So she's suffering and she's struggling with this condition. But not only that, she also is broke. And so it just gets worse and worse and worse for her. In her desperation, she spends all that she has. She ends up worse. Her physical suffering, her financial hardship caused her to struggle a great deal. And I know that there are people in this room, those of you that are listening to me, and you've, you've struggled for 12 years. You've struggled for 10 years. Chronic pain, ongoing chronic pain, can put you in a state of mind that you never thought you would be in. It can cause you to do things that you said you would never do. Chronic pain, those kinds of difficulties. But I just want to highlight something that she was not only struggling financially, not only struggling physically, but she was also struggling internally. I read this morning even Leviticus chapter 15, and it talks about someone like her, and it's talking about the menstrual cycle, someone that, a woman that's been bleeding and she's considered unclean. Well, this woman is perpetually unclean because she's had this flow of blood for 12 years. And so you can imagine what she must be going through. She's to be quarantined. You're not even supposed to touch her bed, let alone her. And she's not to touch anyone because she's unclean. I bet you she had to lie about her condition. I'm sure that she's struggling with all kinds of shame because of what she's facing. When every time she goes to another doctor, she's exposing herself to the potential risk of everyone finding out what it is that she's struggling with. How do you go to the market? How do you go and see your family? How do you go and experience any kind of community life if this is what you're facing? And Leviticus 15 says that you're basically to be quarantined because of your uncleanness. So the shame that's on her life is, is unbearable. And, and wouldn't, wouldn't you know that this is probably a recipe for suicide? You look at the external, you look at the internal, this is what it looks like, the, the, the hill of what it takes to make a decision like that. She's struggling, but this woman is an inspiration to us because in verse 27 it says she heard about Jesus, or the amplified version says she heard the reports about Jesus. She heard testimonies. Hey, there's somebody that has power over sickness and disease. She just heard about it. She didn't even see it. All she had to do was hear, and all of a sudden she has ears to hear, and it causes a new desperation for her to be healed herself. And it releases an action, an action that's quite costly. She was so desperate, the scripture records, she said, if I just touch, or she thought in her mind, if I just touch his cloak, I will be healed. Now, she knows, and we obviously can observe that her not being able to probably be in the public. She can't touch anybody. She would make them unclean. She certainly cannot touch a rabbi. So she thought in her mind, I can't embrace him. I can't run up and, and, and have this public spectacle where they're gonna see what Jesus is gonna do. Is he gonna lay hands on me? But maybe if I just sneak behind him and just touch his coat, if I just touch his coat, because I can't do anything else, but if I just touch his cloak, maybe that's enough to make me well. This is, this is, a, radical, this is a radical thought from a person that knows that there's a, there's a cost if she even does this, right? 
And we have to be in that frame of mind because I bet you she probably had to crawl on her knees. I bet you she had to get real low to, to make this happen. There was a cost, but she wanted to encounter a real God with real power. And, and she, when she went after Jesus, I, I just want this to be an inspiration to us. I've, I've, uh, as I've told you, I've preached all over, I've been all over, and I have watched people pursue Jesus in true desperation. And to the point where I've questioned myself, have I ever been that desperate? Maybe you've been that desperate for the Lord Jesus and, and you've seen that. I remember one time I was at a church preaching, it was in California, and I was the guest pastor doing a seminar. It was a Friday night, and I just had the boldness. I felt it was from the Spirit, but I'm not going to blame the Holy Spirit for everything I say. You know what I'm saying? Try to be careful. But I said, I just feel like if you'll stand up, that God will heal you tonight. If you're struggling with a condition, and I specifically mentioned those people that have already been prayed for people that have already gone through the ringer, people that were in chronic pain, suffering. I just feel like if you just stand up, God will heal you supernaturally. In my mind, I thought, I thought to myself, what did you just say? <laughs> it just sounds arrogant. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just a man. It sounds super arrogant. And I, and I said it. I'm glad I said it before I thought about it. <laughs> so I led this altar call. People stood, and, and I've led many of these, probably hundreds of them, and, and people stood and honestly, I didn't get any reports because I don't go and shove microphones in people's faces. Tell us what the Lord did for you tonight. You know, I mean, and just go ahead next. Yeah, I don't, the goal is not to show how awesome we are. The goal is just that the Lord would minister to his people, okay? Now, I don't, I'm not on Christian television, so I don't know what they have to do, but that's just not what we're about. We will share the testimony at a later time, but not, sometimes immediately we just let the Holy Spirit do his work, Right? So I didn't hear any reports about anything happening. You know, does anybody have any tingling in their feet or, you know, I didn't, I didn't hear anything. And so I went home and I just thought, Lord, you ministered to your people. Amen. And it was like several months later, that pastor sent me an email and it was a blog. He attached this blog to the email and in the blog, there's this woman and it's a picture of a marathon runner. And the whole blog was about this woman. She said, I attended this seminar at my church and there was this guest pastor. And yes, my name was not mentioned. And yes, I did check. <laughs> sometimes we have vanity, you know. This guest pastor, which I thought was a photo finish, you know, it was like the, the father was just like smiling at me. You pray for my glory, son. I was like, I know. This guest preacher was, came to our church and, and he said, if, if, you, if you stand tonight, I believe that God will heal you. And, I, and she's like, I thought, what audacity this guy has to say that. But before I knew it, I was standing up. And she starts to talk about her hip problems and how long it's been going on and her knee problems. And she was a marathon runner. And she's lost a part of herself because apparently if you're a runner, that's a big deal. I'm not a runner. I mean, I'm, I'm not a runner. Anyways, I'm a jogger. <laughs> but she lost a part of herself and didn't get to enjoy that element of life. And so she's, she's going through all this stuff and then she gets to the end of it and she said, when I stood up, I felt something happen from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. And, and, I, and I questioned, did God, did you just touch me? Did something happen? She said, I, was, I don't know if I was totally physically healed, but every day I'd wake up, something more would happen. I was better, I was better, I was better. And now the blog was basically telling everyone that would read it that she's in training for her next marathon, which she hasn't been in for years and years and years, right? And it was powerful because you know what? 
God wants to, I was telling testimonies, God wants to pour out a hunger when we hear the testimonies of the Lord to create a desperation in our lives to encounter Jesus. If you're in this room and you need to encounter Jesus, we want to pray at the end of the service that we would encounter Jesus. What we don't want is to be casual people when we have a supernatural God. It's illegal. It's illegal to read about the Jesus of the Bible and to think that he's somewhere in the past. He is right here, right now. When we gather together, we're in the presence of God and anything is possible. And I'm gonna be... I'm going to be, not a cheerleader, because that's, I'm not going to be, but I'm going to be a cheerleader <laughs> to the fact that Jesus still does what Jesus has always done. Amen. I read this story, and I'm inspired by the woman with the issue of blood. If I just touch his coat, maybe I'll get well. I think we need to think more like that. Amen. We need to think more like that. And we must also press in for relationship with Jesus. In verse 31, we see the disciples and they were also with him in this moment. In the, in the story, we're, we're told about the unnamed woman. We're told about Jairus and his daughter, which we'll talk about in just a second here. But we see the disciples, and they're not responding like the woman with desperation. They're not responding like Jairus who falls to the, to the ground on his knees. They don't have the same response. So you can, maybe you could think like, well, Ben, they don't look like they're desperate, and they're not encountering him the same way. But we got to remember that the disciples wake up in the morning every day and have breakfast with Jesus. They walk with Jesus. They talk with Jesus. They live life with Jesus. And so pressing in to Jesus looks different for them than it does for the woman with the issue of blood. And we need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded that pressing in doesn't always look the same. For those of you in this room or watching, you could say, well, Ben, I've encountered Jesus and I don't need physical healing right now and I'm saved and I've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, but here's what I would say to you. Are you pressing into your relationship with him? Are you pressing into your relationship with him? Well, how did the disciples do that? Well, they did that by asking him questions when they didn't understand something. They did that by wanting to do the same things that he did. They even asked him one time, why could we not cast out that demon? And you came down from the mountain and you were able to do it. Why couldn't we? And he says, oh, this one comes out by prayer and fasting. I can't imagine their response, their response to that. They went, oh, you mean not eat? <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes we need to pray and fast. God, where are you? He's like, I'm right here. Press in, press in for relationship. I've done a lot of conferences. I've done a lot of seminars. I've, I, I've spoken all over. The, I, I've done all this stuff. And you know what I've noticed is that sometimes what happens to us is in our pursuit of another encounter, what we, what we misunderstand and fail to realize is that he wants to have a perpetual encounter with us every day of our life as we wake up in the morning and we, we are awake to Jesus Christ, that he is the most important appointment that we could ever have. Now listen, it's awesome to come to church and there's a purpose to worship God together, to hear the word, to be inspired, to be equipped, to share spiritual gifts. We need to do this, but this is not a substitute for our relationship with him every day of our life. We need the word of God. We're people that can read the word, understand the word, and apply the word of God. We're people that can pray, and we can have an audience of one, even if we, nobody else will listen to us in our life. God hears our prayers and we have this relationship that Jesus paid a price for. He died so that we could have right relationship with our heavenly Father. And this is the joy of our life. But as I've done these conferences, I've realized sometimes people are coming and they're trying to live off someone else's anointing. 
They're trying to live off someone else's revelation. They're trying to live off someone else's relationship with God. And the Lord has broken that. There is no mediator between God and man except the one man, Jesus Christ. I'm not Moses. No one else is. We all get to walk up the mountain ourselves and hear from our heavenly father. Isn't that enough to make you smile this morning? Come on, a couple of you. Don't fight the feeling. God loves us. Jesus proved it. This is not a religious game of who's better than who. This is an opportunity to spend not only the rest of our life, but every day of our life with God. No shame, no guilt, no condemnation. We get to run boldly to the throne of grace and find help in our time of need. Every day of our life, press in for relationship with Jesus. We got to crack that Bible. We got to crack the Bible. We got to get into the word. We got to press in in prayer. And should I say, we need to also fast. We're seeking God. I would encourage you to fast. In fact, we're going to start the new year when it comes. You know the new year is coming. Watch out. Where to go? And we're going to start the year off right, fasting and prayer as a community. The third thing I want to say to you as we observe this text is we need to press in for others to encounter Jesus. Verse 22, the story opens with a man named Jairus. This is a man that fell at the feet of Jesus and begged him to come to his house and pray for the healing or the resurrection of his daughter. I, I... This is a synagogue official, and in this culture, a synagogue official does not drop to his knees. In fact, men don't usually drop to their knees unless they're asking a woman to marry them. I mean, what does it take, men, to fall to your knees? I don't, I don't really know, but I'll tell you this. This guy, it cost him to do what he did. Synagogue officials would not do this, especially because Jesus is a controversial rabbi, right? We understand that, so those that are in the same clique, those that are in the same company of Jairus. They probably would have highly discouraged him from doing this. They see him on the ground in front of Jesus. What are you, what are you doing? Get up. We haven't validated him. He's not one of us. In fact, we've been plotting his death. <laughs> what are you doing, man? Get up. Jairus, what, what happened to Jairus? He was so consumed with the healing and the resurrection of his daughter, he, didn't, he lost track of who he was in terms of his status. He lost track in, 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 in what place he was in the pecking order of the religious aspect of society. He just lost track of all that, didn't care, and went right to his knees. Would you come to my home, and will you pray for my daughter to be healed? See, what does it take to move our hearts, the, com- the compassion that it takes for other people, the love that it takes for other people? Now, I know that we... We do pray for our loved ones. If your loved one has cancer or sickness or illness, you'll go to prayer. But the Lord calls us to love our neighbors. The Lord calls us to love our city. The Lord calls us to love our coworkers. The Lord calls us to love our extended family. And you say, well, Ben, I, I, I don't know how to activate that kind of love. I'll tell you how to activate it. You pray for those that you love. And when you don't love somebody, you start to pray and God will give you the love for them. We automatically pray for those that we love. We'll go to prayer because we feel helpless and we know that God will do something. But if you start praying for people that you lack love for, guess what God will do? He'll pour out love. He'll change our mind. He'll change our heart. And all of a sudden, we'll bounce up to those people when we see them. Hey, how you doing? They're like, no, hey, I just, uh, yeah, how you doing? Because we've been in the secret place. We've been contending for God to do something in their life. 
Isn't it amazing how the Lord will change our mindset? Now, I just want you to know that we need to be people that press in for others to encounter Jesus. He might have lost his reputation, but his daughter was more important. The word compassion means that we're moved from the inward parts. It's talking about action. And I believe that the Church of America needs to hear this word. We need to be moved with action. Now, some of us are, but I want to stir us even more. This isn't a guilt trip. This is an opportunity. This is an invitation that we get to live out our days contending for God to move in the lives of other people. What else could we spend our life on that would bring us more joy and satisfaction than to contend for the people in our life to encounter the same Jesus that we've encountered? You know, good news is meant to be spread, knowing that he's powerful, knowing that he's full of love, knowing that he's almighty. We carry this gospel, we carry this message, and we carry his power, and we carry it all the way to Niger. We carry it all the way to Africa. We carry it all the way to the Philippines. We carry it all the way to China, and the China carries it all the way back here. We are people that are bringing Jesus to people and people to Jesus, and we're contending like we see Jairus do. And I want to encourage you to contend for people. Now, I told this story um, last night, but I've, I've shared with you before that I came to Christ at 19, and I was, you know, drug addicted. I was, I was full of pain and shame and anger and all that, and I won't, I won't go into it, but, but my testimony is I was radically converted at 19 years old, and then powerfully filled with the Holy Spirit. I didn't even know what that meant, but man, I, wow, you know what I'm saying? So I love the baptism with the Holy Spirit, knowing we need that, and this was my testimony. But before I came to Christ, I influenced a lot of people in the wrong way. I sent a lot of people down the wrong path, and that's part of the, uh, part of the reason why when I met Jesus, I said, if you reveal yourself to me, I'll, I'll give you my life. I will spend the rest of my life just influencing people to know who you are, and that's actually what the Lord did. He, he started to use me, you know, and I've, I've had the privilege of praying for I don't even know how many people to receive Christ, and I just love that, and praying for folks to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, but I also am very mindful of those that I influenced in the wrong way, some that I never got to go back to and share the love of Jesus with and, and really influence them the right way. But there was a young man, I was uh, friends with two guys, and they had a cousin, his name was Glenn, we called him BG because that would be Big Glenn. He was, a, he was a basketball star at Lake Washington High School. Big guy, 6'4", six, 6'5", six, just a good-looking guy. He was charming. Everybody loved him. He, he was just a promising young guy. And when he came and hung out with us, we encouraged him, you know, down these wrong paths, you know, fights and drugs and all this stuff. And so when he hung out with us, that's what he ended up doing and spending his life down that. And so the promising opportunity and path that he was on started to lessen and lessen. I, um, you know, wasn't the only person that influenced him down this road, but I certainly was one of them. I um, hadn't seen Glenn for a long, long time, and uh, I had come to Christ. So by the time I was hanging out with him and he started down this wrong path, I hadn't seen him for a long, long time. I came to Jesus, and then I heard about Glenn, something that had happened. He got into a fight at some party and a guy basically hit him over the head with a beer mug, a real thick uh, mug, and uh, sent him to the hospital. He got stitches, and everybody thought he was okay for about two months, but two months later, three months later, he slipped into like what's called, I think, a waking coma. Or, uh, I don't know, I can't spell the name of it, but basically he was a, a vegetable, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, but he just was out of it completely. You know, couldn't eat, couldn't walk, talk, use the bathroom. He just was laying on a bed, barely surviving. And... Uh, 
I wanted to see him, but I just had so much shame. And wouldn't you know, the Lord gave me a job in Totem Lake, which is where he lived, and I knew it. I knew him, his parents lived in Totem Lake in Kirkland area. And I'm driving, and the Lord just kept speaking to my heart, I want you to go see Glenn. So I finally just got the courage and broke enough shame to call his parents. I got a hold of them, and I said, hey, I, I would like to come see Glenn. And they said, well, you can come see him, but I want you to know it's when you come, you need to be prepared for how this really is. And they told me the state and the condition that he was in. I said, I just want to come. If I could come, I would love to. And so I came and sat with his mom. We went downstairs, and Glenn's just laid out, you know, can't talk, can't walk, can't do anything. And uh, honestly, I just cried. And his mom is the one that comforted me, you know, that time. And uh, I just sat there and I stared at him and I just thought, I, I honestly, I personalized it. I, I couldn't think about compassion for him. I just thought about how horrible I was. That's all I could really think about because it just was a reminder of how I encouraged people down the wrong path. And I know it was the wrong thing to think, but it just was where I was at. I get in my car and I drive to work because I did this during my lunch break. And the Lord speaks to me and says, I want you to come see Glenn every week. And I said, okay, well, I'll come. So every week I would come and I would hang out with Glenn and I would hang out with his Buddhist caretaker. And of course, I talked to him about Jesus, you know. He was a great guy and I would just sit there for a while and uh, I started reading the Bible to him every week. And when I read him the Bible, he would start to move. He almost try to talk. He would, he would, loud noises and whatnot, he would try to talk and his uh, caretaker told me, he said, every time you read the Bible to him, he is the most active that I ever see him. And he told me, he looked at me, and he would minister to me, I, I think. He said, he hears you. I want you to know he hears you. Now, statistics would tell you he cannot hear me, right? But the caretaker had, had a lot more faith maybe than I did in that moment. Maybe not in the God of the Bible, but he, he would encourage me. And so, you know, Glenn... I got to spend a year going to see him, and Glenn died. He passed away. And the, his parents went to city church, and his mom pulled me aside and said, I want you to know that Glenn gave his heart to Jesus at a Young Life camp. So I just thank God for Young Life. And there were things I didn't know about him that his mom shared with me. I went to city church that day, and I had no intentions on speaking at his memorial, but it was packed. City church has 1,700 seats. The whole bottom floor was high schoolers. And they all came in, and they had that, yo, you know what I'm saying? They had that look, you know. <laughs> Everybody's all sad. Nobody, you know what? And I visited him for a year, and nobody, nobody came. You know how it is. It was just a lot of pain, a lot of guilt. The Holy Spirit helped me to get over my shame and say, it wasn't about you, Ben. I want you to go be with him. And I prayed for resurrection. I mean, I prayed that God would, I contended for Glenn. Every time I was there, I prayed. Right in front of his Buddhist caretaker, that God would raise him from the dead. He was basically dead. And the Lord prompted my heart, I want you to share with these high school, or they're not high schoolers anymore, but it was basically Lake Washington High School alumni came out. It's packed. I want you to share what Glenn would want you to say now that he's with me. I want you to share with him. So I went up and I sat in the front, the front row and uh, they were all the way done. And I thought, oh, this isn't going to happen. And then the pastor maybe accidentally op reopens up the testimony time. Is there anybody else that wants to share? And I'm sitting right in the front row and I'm like, <laughs> I go, come on up. And so I came up and I shared with all of them. I told them that I was a bad influence on Glenn. I did just, no details. I said, I was a bad influence on Glenn. But, but just, just a few years ago, I met Jesus Christ and he changed my life. And he spoke to me, and he wanted me to go visit Glenn. And I want you to know, I'd read the Bible to him every week. 
And his caretaker told me that he would, was the most active when I read the Bible to him. Like he would move. He would, it's like he was interacting with me. And I just believe that Glenn would want all of you to know to give your life to Jesus. To not waste one more day of your life. That this is the time to do that. And you know what? My friend's life was not in vain. And God wanted me to get over myself and contend for other people to meet Jesus. I got past my shame. I stepped over that threshold. And I spoke to probably a thousand young people and told them to give their life to Jesus. The pastor of City Church jumps up to his feet and like starts to affirm me. And then he preached the gospel message too, which was really good. You know, the, the Smiths, Judah and Wendell, Wendell Smith, they got up and started preaching themselves. It was really powerful. And I honored my friend. I got to honor my friend. In life, I didn't honor him. But in death, I got to honor him. When we contend for other people to encounter Jesus, there is nothing more precious and nothing more important for those of us that already know him to do. We're going to Niger. Why? Because we're, we're caring about, we're praying for, we're thinking about people across the world. Why would Dan and Roseanne lead a team to do that? Because they care about what God's doing with the people that we, that we don't interact with every day. God sends us into our own life every single day so that we can contend for other people to encounter Jesus. And if you don't need an encounter with Jesus right now, someone does. And if the church is good at anything, we should be good at praying. Amen? So I want to close like this. If you need an encounter with the Lord, if you feel like you're spiritually dead, and I'm, I'm not asking for your emotionalism, I don't, I don't do that. But if you feel like you're in a place where you're like, Ben, you know what, I, I was alive to Christ, I'm a Christian, but I just, I, I, I'm just stuck. I'm stuck and I need the grace of God to, to move my foot to get up out of my seat. Maybe you need physical healing. Maybe you need deliverance. Maybe you need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, but you need, you need a fresh hunger. It's, it's not everybody in this room. Some of you, you're contending right now. You're meeting with Jesus every day, but there are some that I don't want you to leave today without God touching you. And so I'm just boldly asking you with all eyes open that if you would stand up because you know you need to encounter Jesus before you leave, this room today. I'm asking you to stand up right now. And we're going to pray for the grace of God to touch you. Whoever you are, wherever you are, just stand. And I want you to believe with me today that as we pray this prayer, that you're going to encounter something of God in your heart and in your mind and in your life. We're not looking for magic, but we're, what we're looking for is God to activate something in us. If that's you, just stand. And if you if you haven't and still you, you can. I don't want to manipulate. I just want to invite. Thank you, Lord. And we extend our hands out to the Lord this morning. Ask him right now. Don't wait for me to pray. Go ahead and ask the Lord for what you need. We're, we're a family. Father, thank you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name that you're more powerful than anything that we're facing. Lord, you're more powerful than passivity or anything that maybe we've, we've come. We're, on a, we're in a slump right now. And we need you to touch our hearts. We need you to touch our lives. And we just pray, God, knowing that you will, for you to move mightily. Pour out your spirit upon all of us today. I pray especially for those that are standing right now. I pray that you would meet us in the courage and the faith just to stand, that that was enough right now. It was enough for you to see us and for you to respond to our faith. 
And I pray that we would hear that in our heart and we would experience it in our body. Those that need physical healing would right now. We pray that all over this place this morning that you would heal, that you would stretch forth your hands, lay your hands upon us and bring healing power this morning at Northwest Church, that we would bring testimony to Jesus Christ. We pray that the pages of the Bible would come alive in us this morning right now. I pray for deliverance. I pray that there would be a movement of holiness. I pray that the habits and the sins that are plaguing us, that they would break today, that they would break. Lord, we pray that you would replace thoughts with new thoughts right now. We ask that your power would sweep through this room and you would draw us to a new place. God, we admit we can't do it alone. We can't do it without you. We need you. Give us a hunger for your power, for your presence. We pray right now, God, move in a mighty way. Now just stay right there. We just stay. Thank you, Lord. We ask for you to show up in power. We don't just want to read about it. We want to experience it. Testimonies get us to our feet, but they're not enough. We need right here and right now a movement of the Holy Spirit. Send a Jesus people movement among us. We pray for it, God. Sweep through. Break callousness. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We pray that we could hear your voice and that we would have the grace to obey you no matter what you tell us. Give us a fresh love for you, first love, Lord. We break off all other appetites. We want to be hungry for you. Release us of our appetites for the things of the world. Lesser things. And we speak to them now. You are a lesser thing. You are a lesser thing. We pray that our mindset would make you the priority, God. Speak into our mind. Grant us repentance, Lord, not guilt and shame and condemnation, but bring us to our knees in a holy reverence and a love for you. We pray for it today, God. Thank you, Lord. Would the rest of you stand? And we're gonna, I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands for this one. I'm not gonna ask who's in. You're all in. You're all in for this. If you're in this room, if you're watching, Every one of us, listen, let's make a commitment to contend for other people to encounter Jesus. Let that be one of the reasons that we walk and move and have our being, that it's in him so that people could encounter him. Let's do that this morning. Let's make a commitment to go, all, go beyond self and say we want other people to know him, experience him, love him, and have what we have so they can say what we say. Let's pray into that this morning for a moment. Father, we thank you today. We ask for the grace to be poured out upon us, to act on behalf of others, to pray on behalf of others, to contend on behalf of others. We pray that you would release a prayer movement in this house. We have morning prayer, we have Wednesday prayer, we have pre-service prayer, but we pray that for lifestyle prayer to overtake us every day that Northwest Church would be praying every day, corporately, individually. We ask for those that are drug addicted, that those addictions would be broken. We ask for our sons and daughters that they would come back to you. God, we pray for people that are plagued and they don't even want to get up out of bed that you would break the spirit of suicide, that you would break the spirit of death and bring forth life. We pray that those that just, they, can't, they don't even want to come to church, we just pray you would draw them to churches all over this region and all over this state, that this would be a holy property set apart for you that our homes would be places of hospitality, inviting people in from all over, coming to our home. Be welcome in Jesus' name. 
God, we contend on behalf of others, Lord. We pray that we would see salvation, that we would see healing, that we would see deliverance for the lives of those that are all around us. And I just pray over all of us today that we would see texts, we would see emails, we would receive phone calls from people that are getting touched right now. Every person that's in our mind, we pray that you would lay your hands on them right now and they would encounter you. That's right, Lord. We pray you would pour out your spirit on them, that they would have visions and dreams. We pray that you would surround them with a Christian witness that would annoy them. Talking to them about Jesus, Lord, we pray that we would see a Jesus people movement in our lives, through our lives, around our lives. We believe that you still do what you've always done. We're hungry for it. We pray for more. We press in for more this morning as a church. And God's people said, amen. amen. I'm gonna say this to you. We have Connect After Service. Um, don't move just yet. I'd love to see you out there. I, I want this sanctuary to be, for the next many moments, just a, a holy place, just a place where we reverence prayer. So if you want to connect with people, we have huge gym and a huge foyer. If you would make your way out after I commission you to go and just fellowship. Not, not everybody needs to stay in here and pray. I know that a lot of us have to go get our children. We can't forget about the kids. But if you need prayer for an encounter with Jesus, and if you, need, if you want to agree with somebody, we're going to have prayer partners available at the front. You can certainly pray wherever you are and spend some time in prayer. But I just want this sanctuary to be set apart as a place of prayer for the next 25, 30 minutes. Can we do that? And, and if we want to connect, we do it out there. That's, that's how I want to do that. I just, want, I just want times of refreshing to come from the presence of the Lord. And I, I think we need to extend a place for prayer. And so we're going to do that. And um, if that's not you, it's okay. No shame, no guilt, no condemnation. Maybe you need to go talk to somebody. Maybe you need to go get something to eat. I understand that. I understand that. Let me commission you, though. As you go, be strengthened by God's word. Be filled with God's spirit. Be mindful of God's voice. Be focused on his mission as we bring Jesus to people and people to Jesus. Amen. We're so glad you were able to join us today. We would like you to find out more about Northwest Church by going to our website, nwcfoursquare.org, or downloading our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.